As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, joined today by The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitt-Brook. We have to start with the game against Morecambe on Sunday. Particularly problematic for me because on the previous night I had gypped uh, Newcastle United in the way of football fans everywhere. If you lose to lower league opposition, you get some prodding, don't you? That's the way it works. And I said rather airily on Twitter that, of course, if Spurs were to lose to Morecambe in the subsequent 24 hours, that I would take my lumps like a man. Of course, I didn't mean it. And with 15 minutes to go, I thought I was going to get the most tremendous pelters, particularly from fans from Newcastle, which I would have entirely deserved. But somehow, I suppose you could say they turned it round against Morecambe. Um, That can't be the right word. Charlie, let's start with a quick recap of the actual game against mighty Morecambe. A stirring afternoon at the... Stirring comeback at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, I mean, I I arrived at that game and I said to the other reporters, kind of like, I, I know we've been here before with Mura, with various, with Pacos de Ferreira, with various other teams, but surely today is just going to be a quite straightforward two or three 0 win. Obviously, that was a ludicrous thing to say. Mark. You know, they're twenty first in League One. Um, yeah, cl- clearly that was always going to be a massive challenge at home for this Spurs B team. I mean, so yeah, Spurs were pretty sluggish. They created a little bit in the first kind of half hour, but um, I can get my note. There was quite a funny passage actually, and obviously during the game, kind of make, making notes. And in the lead up to uh, <laughs> in the lead up to the Morecambe goal, like there's a passage where I've written 23 minutes, and Dombele tries a flick, and then ball gets booted away. 25 minutes, Tanganga wins header. 26 minutes, the Celso falls over. And that, that was kind of the what was going on at that time. It wasn't a thriller. Anyway, Morecambe then score from a corner and then dig in and frustrate Spurs largely. I mean, they obviously created a couple of chances. Cessnion had one, he dragged wide, but it got to the 69th minute. And, and from basically from the moment Spurs conceded to the 69th minute, Conte was sort of between the, a rock and a hard place of... 
oh, I really, really don't want to have to bring Harry Kane and Lucas Moura on. But at the same time, I really, really need to bring Harry Kane and Lucas Moura on. So he's kind of oh, yeah. in this dilemma, desperately hoping he wouldn't have to and kind of suffer that indignity. And it's an indignity for the players as well. But it got to the 69th minute and they still hadn't equalised. So it was like, oh, I guess we're going to have to do it. Brings them on. Wink scores from a free kick shortly after. Both Kane and Mora themselves do score and save the day. And Spurs go through and, yeah, break Morecambe's hearts. Very quickly about that, Wink scored from a free kick. I say that with the eyebrows raised, but of course, because nearly all free kicks that Spurs get anywhere in the opposition half, Harry Kane lines up and blasts either A into Tottenham High Road or B, the wall. This was basically a cross. I mean, he said afterwards yeah, he was... I know. Because <laughs> he, he scored a... He scored a ludicrous one against Luda Goretz last season, which he did afterwards admit was an accident. But with this one, he was claiming that he he was going for goal, and if someone else had happened to you know prod it in on 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 the way, and then that would, that was a bonus. Uh, but yeah, may, maybe um, Winks can use this as leverage next time. As a free oh yeah, kick. absolutely. They can have that discussion before H does his thing, and a bit like when we were measuring how long it is uh, when Spurs had that amazing uh, period of time earlier in the season. Uh, where they didn't have a single shot on target. Um, somebody I noted was keeping the, the list of how long it is since Harry scored a free kick for Spurs. Um, and it is, we're well into the 2,000 days now. Has he done one? Has he scored since that that deflected Villa one that supposedly kept Poch in a job? I don't think, I don't so. think so. Didn't no. he hit the post get when they lost to City halfway through last season? Or was he hit, the bar? He hit the post against Arsenal. He wrong-footed Burnt Leno with a low one that then Sanchez hit the rebound and Gabriel headed I it away. I think he hit the woodwork against City. I'm going to look this up right now because it is on my mind. It was like, it was even though it didn't go in, it was literally the best free kick that Kane had taken for Tottenham for years. You're not thinking, you're not thinking of the Arsenal one I, that hit the post? I don't think so. This is the level of preparation no, that's made a, this podcast Sorry, there's a really report here of the Man City 3 Tottenham nil game. Aside from a Harry Kane free kick that hit the post in the opening minutes, oh, Edison yeah. had virtually nothing to do. So, so, that he's was the la- so he's That was the last good one. Although I think there was like, wasn't there quite a good one in the last few weeks? Well, but Arsenal was ago. more recent. Arsenal was a Yeah, month I'm not thinking that. of Arsenal. Uh, uh, no, 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 but I'm just saying he's had two. That, that's a yeah. purple patch for him. If a he purple came patch, out. two times hitting the woodwork. Yeah. In, I, in I, I, really, I really enjoyed the theatricality of that. For those of you, of course, none of you, only I could see what Jack was doing there. He made an assertion. He knew it to be correct. And then he pretended to look it up. To back no, I did, I did genuinely look really, it up really in good. this case. No, no, I didn't. Um, here's a good question. Who else could take them? Dyer. Dyer scored that great one, England against Russia in Marseille. At least he bl- at least he belts it. He really, really belts the ball. And sooner or later, one of those deflecting off the noggins of one of the opposition wall, won't they? Dyer also had a really good one against Palace in December 2020, which very nearly won the game. It was an amazing save by Guaita. To, to, it, it looked all the world like it was in. And after that, everyone was like, that's the solution. Just let Dyer take all of them. But it hasn't really happened. Do you reckon Lacelso would be good on free? Lacelso could be good on free. He games? took some dreadful ones will, on the weekend. Will you Cut- stop about Lacelso? We'll get on to it. But I'm <laughs> telling you now, I will be using the sentence, will you shut up about Lacelso <laughs> later he, in this podcast? He hit a couple uh, of pee rollers <laughs> uh, against Morecambe. Jack, you, I've not heard enough of your lovely voice in the, in the, at the start of this podcast, so I'm going to ask you the question that occurred to me after watching. I was otherwise engaged uh, during most of the game. I was preparing for my debut on the legitimate London theatre stage. But I watched the highlights. How far down the football pyramid would Spurs' second eleven have to go 
before they would have an easy afternoon of it. And I'm I'm serious. Uh, I don't know, uh, Ryman Pram. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, the thing is, if they were if they were to play in the Ryman Pram, it would not necessarily get easier because, of course, it's you know pitches, referees, etc. It's much probably a harder place. The referees to, are better, yeah. yeah pitches harder, are worse, yeah. I mean, it would be harder for them to go to Kingstonian or Grey's Athletic or a Grey's Athletic in the Ryman Prem or in the Conference South or Fisher Athletic than it might be for them to play League Concord Side, Rangers. Perhaps. Concord Rangers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't believe we're doing this in the absence of our Ryman Prem supporting friend James Moore. But yeah, he'll be furious with us. He will be furious. Absolutely right. It's damning, isn't it? How Ugh. they are not a functional team. But I feel like Conte has basically slipped into the Nuno trap, which is if you have an A team and a B team, and the B team know that you don't rate them or like them, then the B team have got no... It's sad to say, but the B team have got no motivation really to play well because they think, well, he doesn't like me. What's the point? I can't be asked. I think, I mean, maybe it's slightly unfair, but that's kind of the impression that I get. I mean, clearly that was the case under Conte, as we saw with the Vitesse Arnhem incident, which I think was a bit of a factor in costing Nuno his job. And I, I feel like it's not. I don't think more could. What happened on Sunday was that different, really, from the um, those Europa Conference League games under Nuno. I asked that self same question of somebody who is not a Spurs fan but knows his football. Better remain anonymous because you know what savagery you'll get on Twitter and things. And he said to me, "I genuinely think that any full time professional team would give Spurs his B team a real problem." <laughs> um, and, and he was serious, Charlie. You were going to say something. My, my Sunday league team, although actually the Oppo we played on the weekend, they had a six for eight striker who I really don't think that um, you know, Sanchez and, and the lads would relish playing. <laughs> I mean, there, well, there are two things. One, I think that is a really interesting point Jack makes, and I've, I've also had that impression. And I do think the Liverpool game was probably quite significant in that. If you remember. They had this genuinely stirring, I used that word, taking the piss earlier, but that, there was that stirring draw against Liverpool where they, there were a bunch of changes, you know, play, fringe players came in and, and played really well. But then the next game, uh, I think it was Palace, it was kind of like that had never happened and Conte went back to his tried and, t- tried and tested. And, you know, the, it is a bit more fluid maybe than in that, that Nuno period, but it does, you know, we all know what, Conte's first choice team is so you know I I think that that is potentially a factor I do also think we shouldn't underestimate how much of a difference it makes not having a striker who can play these games I I think like Carlos Vinicius as much of a joke figure he became after that celebration against Marine but had he played yes had he played in the Morecambe game I wrote his name down before the start of the show Big Vinny we miss him but (laughs) honestly that show you know and and, and that is why (laughs) Danny's just done the iconic uh, Vinicius celebration I'm yeah uh, after scoring against 12th tier Marine or whatever they were. Um, that that makes a huge difference that you can't just put these teams away. And that's a big reason why in so many of these European games, and I think back to Vitesse Arnhem away where poor Dane Scala, who's 17 and a really exciting talent, but so clearly wasn't ready, went there and got about one touch of the ball. And you're having to play Deli Alley and Brian Hill up front both good players good footballers but playing up front is such a specialized position it's so hard and this is what when it winds me up when people are like get play Delhi up front it's like maybe no. but you need years of training to do that it is it is the hardest position you spend most of your time as a striker making runs to nowhere that don't get found out you need to be so well trained so relentless it's not sunday league where you can just stick a good player up and i mean like, ah, he's good it, he'll score it's amazing uh to think about when when people used to play two up front uh, you know consistently play two up front it was obvious that the most 
outlying position in professional football, I mean, it's, it's, it's so obvious, it's almost painful to say it, was goalkeeper. In the last 10 years, as goalkeepers have become more and more like an auxiliary centre-back playing out with their feet, mm. and strikers have had to play on their own, it's almost as if centre-forward is now the, the most odd position you can play in a football team. I think so. I think, I think that's just borne out by the fact that there aren't that many number nines coming through anymore. Like, all the best number nines in the world at the moment. I mean, Kane is probably the youngest of them, really. Well, no, ha- apart from Haaland, who I think is a is a freak, like a real one-off. But apart, like, most of the best number nines in the world, like Benzema's in his 30s. Uh, no, and, his and, 30s. And, 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 a fellow, and a fellow at Fiorentina, Larbich. Yeah, Kane's pretty, you know, Kane's in his late 20s, his late 20s now. And that's why, you know, say, like, Manchester, like Sergio Aguero's retired now and... Clearly, Manchester City haven't been able to replace him, and maybe they'll get Haaland, or maybe they won't. But it's not like you know, sort of fifteen years ago, where you, you had all these amazing number nines in world football. No, like uh, yeah, well, Tevez well, and Suarez. It is, it is like fifteen years ago. It's the same players. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, 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 it's Suarez and Lewandowski. Yeah. Lewandowski, with, with the exception yeah. of Haaland, the best strikers yeah. in the world now are the best strikers they were like in twenty ten. And an, an additional effect that the best goal scorers tend to be wide forwards. I think Mo exactly, Salah yeah. and people yes. like that. That you know, Mbappe, Neymar, people coming. You know, and, Salah, maybe, and yeah. maybe that general lack of number nines in the market has made it slightly harder for Spurs. I think it is. It is just really difficult for Tottenham. It has always been difficult for Tottenham to find a good backup for Kane. In the sense that Kane is their best player and has been for a long time. Anyone joining Tottenham to be backup to Kane knows that and knows that they'll play a small percentage of games. And that means that either your options are going to be get someone who's not really good enough, like a Vinicius or a Janssen, or someone who's really old, like Llorente. But this, I mean, this is something that Charlie and I have both written about a lot, and it's like a really big structural issue at Spurs over the last year or so. It's that they've come into this season without a not very good Vinicius Janssen type player or a kind of aging Llorente. And imagine yes. how much easier this season would have been if they had a Llorente up front. I know, and, and and it's it's no it's no coincidence that Newcastle with a with a you know an almost bottomless pot of money are looking at Chris Wood. Um, for the yeah. exact same reason. There's somebody who can play in the Premier League, very good in the Premier League, who's getting on a bit, for whom you will have to overpay both in transfer fee and wages if you want to have a striker or a backup striker. I, I We've gone over this so many times, but I think it is hard, but it's it's not impossible. That's the thing. And, and, and Spurs have made it... To have regressed, to have finally last season addressed it with Vinicius, and Vinicius scored ten goals last season, and Bale scored eleven. In, in in I mean, Bale got about sixteen, but I think he got yeah. He, he, he got he got a load of goals. You have to have backup players. Yeah, you can exactly. Score. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mentioned that in the piece I wrote after the game. So Bale was another alternative. Um, but Vinicius, even as much as he was ridiculed, scored ten goals. I looked at it as well. There were four games that he played that meant Kane didn't have to come play at all. That's a nice. That's a nice little bonus for him. Four games with his feet up. On top, then there are an extra couple where Kane came on, you know, much later in the game. So it, it just feels very odd to have had Vinicius. <laughs> it feels really, it's not that I'm saying he's a great player, but just having a body. And yeah, maybe you want someone better, but he came on alone and sort of did what he needed to do. To not have even an alternative is, is very, very odd. One understands, of course, that the Premier League is a very, very particular beast. And I'm here... I'm marching down the street with a banner marked uh, Sebastian Hilaire, you know. There are people with 20 million out there who will get tons and tons of goals, whether they'll get them in the Premier League. Or Vincent Janssen, who Jack mentioned, had that amazing season in Holland before he came. Or whether you can persuade them to be back up to Harry Kane, of course. Let's move on, because oddly enough, this Morecambe game, which appeared on paper to be, uh, you know, the sort of game where you turn up and uh, share wine gums with your mate and occasionally look at the pitch and say, oh, that's a good one, isn't it? 
threw up a load of issues. We haven't even got to, to Lo Celso yet, Jack. Um, but we will. We will. We, Tanke and Dombele. First of all, you can tell me how loud uh, the booing the, the booing was. Then I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you actually. I'm going to ask you the question in advance. So you can tell me about the booing. You give Jack a chance to think about it as well, Charlie. Pound for pound, euro for euro, is Tanke and Dombele. And I don't. I'm. I'm not a, an extremist. But I'm going to say this. Is he the worst purchase Spurs have ever made? Pound for pound. You know, you, Paolo <laughs> Tramazzani didn't cost 400 grand. It's a different story, you know. But first of all, how loud was the booing? Yeah, it was It was pretty loud and clearly targeted at him. And, you know, he kind of provokes it by walking slowly. The way I saw it, he started walking slowly. Then the booing came. And, you know, it was a lot of pent-up frustration as well because, you know, for many fans share your the would answer yes to your question and you know they feel that it's a question of effort i don't think anyone denies he's got the talent so that's always a particularly potent sort of gripe for fans to have isn't it we, we we're always told that the one thing above all that fans won't tolerate is someone who won't put in the effort who doesn't take pride in putting on the shirt etc etc so indomitable is kind of a poster child for that given the perception of him is that he doesn't try as hard as he might and you know slowly walking off when they were chasing a goal but it was big it was but it, it definitely felt like a right. moment okay well it, it, may, it may mark you know look it, it, these things never definitively mark anything we saw granite xhaka um, the, well, so th- this really winds me up and jack is a good example but another the one that always sticks in my mind is after luis suarez bit branislav ivanovic graham sunes and all the pundits on sky sports were po face telling us that no man is bigger than Liverpool Football Club. He will never pull on the red of Liverpool again. He then spent the summer agitating for a move to Arsenal, desperately saying how much he wanted to leave and how much he didn't want to play for Liverpool. Guess what? The first game he's available back, he starts. And he then goes on to have a great season and Liverpool fans love him. Like, and I'm not saying Ndombele will have a similar renaissance or that what he's done... I'm is glad you're not saying that, but go on. ...equatable to what Luis Suarez did. But my point is, I think we like to draw these definitive moments in the sand and say, that's it. And 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 especially for fans as well, we we want to feel that we... It's almost like we have the power to, in this gladiatorial way, stick up our thumb yes, or put it down and, and that's us giving the verdict and Don Belay's Spurs career is over he doesn't have pride in the shirt in reality his Spurs career is close to being over but that's not because he walks slowly off against Morecambe it's because he is not deemed to be what Antonio Conte wants and so you had a chance now Jack to look at to think about it pound for pound is he Tottenham's worst ever signing I think he's clearly under delivered but for me the issue is not fans might other fans might feel differently on this but for me the I don't think it's a disappointment that he's underperformed because he was expensive. It's a disappointment that he's underperformed because he's so good. That's what is so frustrating for me. I don't think, when I watch him play, I don't think, oh, what a shame this 55 million euro footballer isn't playing well. I watch him and I think, this guy can do stuff on the pit on the pitch that nobody else can do. And yet he doesn't do it. Like he hasn't, he's done it so rarely over the course of his time at Spurs. You know, so f- he's had quite a lot of good moments. Not many, I mean, we can talk about consistency, but it's not just that he's not put a run of games together, or a season together, or even 10 games together. He hasn't put that many 90-minute performances together. I think he's barely put any good 90-minute performances together. And so for me, like, you know, I've always been very much on the kind of Ndombele sympathetic side of the argument, yeah. I think. And I think that that is, you know, my view on that is now starting to change. But my frustration with Ndombele, with Ndombele is just because he he should be so good 
not because you know Tottenham happened to pay more money to Leon for him or more money in salary than they would have done for other players because you know. I realised Danny I didn't well, answer your question at all I just ranted about Graham Souness and Luis Suarez but I think I think I liked it um, I think the fact that now they're in a I mean I, I think I mentioned this last week that the a six year deal on 200 grand a week and a 55 million transfer fee is about the most pre-pandemic signing imaginable mm-hmm. I mean and I think that's what makes it forget the fee in a way because fees change over time and that was that captured a moment in time I think that the fact that he's on this six-year deal and he's on such a high wage is a really big issue because he wants to go, Spurs wants to get rid of him, but it's very hard to find a buyer who is willing to stump up that amount. And I think Spurs, if he is to go, are going to have to lower their sights on even whether a club will pay all of his wages, you know, and that seems... We're not talking about will they get their fee back. (laughs) Forget getting that. Forget getting a fee at the moment and forget even getting a team to pay his wages. So I think that's why if you're talking about is it one of the worst signings, I think that's... The the fact that it's not just, as Jack says, he's underperformed, which is the main issue. It's that they're kind of stuck with him unless they're willing to make some pretty major sacrifices. That's my impression at the moment is that he is proving... Again, very difficult to move. You know, Tottenham tried really hard to move to move him in the summer. Between, you know, obviously, Ndombele came back for pre-season, very upset by the events at the end of last season, getting dropped to the Carabao Cup final, missing out on the Euros, which is a big heartbreak for him. Came back, asked to leave. Tottenham looked very hard to try and find a new club for him. And they couldn't find someone to take him. You know, I imagine that will still be the case this month. I'm, I'm sure... It's all very well, like Tottenham wanting it to happen and Ndombele wanting it to happen, but unless you find a club that he can go to, who'll pay his wages and pay Tottenham some money, it's you know it's tough. And that was the case at the end of uh, his first season as well, summer yeah. of twenty twenty. So it's basically so it's happened. You know, they've, they've, what this is now the fourth, third, third time, pr- third time, yeah, third time they they've tried to move him on, and he's proving unmovable. Jack, I'll, I'll give you a chance then to defend uh, an, another player. Um, who uh, in the last two or three years has played some very good football, but he has played it only for Argentina. Now, it's fair to say, because these are brilliant players I'm about to mention, that uh, Giovanni Lo Celso has played a very, very big part, both in Argentina winning the uh, the Copa America and qualifying for the World Cup. But he, he's formed a, a, a lethal kind of a quartet <laughs> with Lautaro Martinez. Oh, I Martinez, thought you were going to say he's formed Lionel a lethal Messi. partnership with Ndombele in the middle of midfield. For no, no. And, and Angel Di Maria. And Argentina, if uh, Romero can get himself back to some kind of fitness, the forgotten man at Spurs, of course, as well. And if Martinez, Emi Martinez, continues to play well in goal for them, nobody will want to play them in the World Cup because of their forward quartet. The issue is he, he he's another one who just can't seem to get that moment when he's properly fit in a system that uh, suits him and in the first team really because that's where the good players are he just another one who just just looks completely out of sorts at the football club and that's the that's the 100 million pound solution to the departure of Moussa Dembélé and Christian Eriksen and it hasn't worked in any WS or F yeah so I think that, I mean, clearly Lo Celso has produced less for Tottenham over the last year or two than even Ndombele. You know, Ndombele has played more and I think probably played better than Lo Celso on a consistent basis And scored basis against Manchester United. And, and he scored goals Sheffield and he does United, more things. Yep. That said, I think, that, the pros- I think that, that Lo Celso's prospects for Tottenham are better than Ndombele's. 
I think that Conte uh, has more or less given up on Ndombele. I think the club have more or less given up on Ndombele as a player. But the thing is, Ndombele is fit at the moment and has been fit really for quite a while. Whereas Le Celso, the issue is different. I think Le Celso could be a better player for Conte than Ndombele. I think Le Celso gives Conte more of what he wants than Ndombele does. He works harder. He's more dynamic. That said, the problem is that Le Celso's had these injury problems over the course of this season, which, which has basically prevented him from getting any kind of a run under Conte. But looking at the second half of this season, you know, I'm, I'm not really expecting Ndombele to play much more for Tottenham. But I, whether he moves or not, but I do think that if Lacelso can get fit, and if, fingers crossed, he's not part of the Argentina squad <laughs> that's playing Chile on the 27th of January and Colombia on the 1st of February, he will be. Then, well, I'm, I'm not actually sure about that because I gather that the okay. Argentine Football Association are not keen to wind up Tottenham anymore. Um, so I'm not I'm not certain that Lacelso and Romero will be involved, but let's wait and see. But I do think there is some hope for Lacelso in the second half of the season, even though I am. Basically, giving up my hopes for Ndombele. Oh, just just thinking uh, of the sort of um... clinging on there with Lascelles. <laughs> I'm very clinging good. on by the fingernails. <laughs> Can you imagine if if because that's just the, I'm just thinking that's when Romero will just be coming back from injury. <laughs> the oh, day he comes back to Argentina, Christian. Um, can you can you come come travel across, halfway across the world to come play? Like, no, I'm actually just, in an Uber. Yeah, I've got a flight to Santiago. Yeah. Just seeing, I, I actually hope well, that with his legs still, his legs still in the car. Yeah. yeah, I'll be all right. Don't worry about that. I'll sit. Yeah, I'll see you in the airport. The, the steam <laughs> that be rising from the ears of everyone at Ton. I mean, I think there's a lot to unpick there. I mean, with the Celso, it was interesting. Like, like what uh, Conte did with Harry Winks the other week, where he was asked about Ndombele. He was like, yeah, I'm not going to talk about him. I'm not going to talk about individual players. Uh, okay, what about Harry Winks? Love him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's been great. What an individual player yeah, he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he gives me exactly what I want. He saw, He did a bit of that. You know, with Ndombele, he wouldn't be drawn. And then he he wasn't even asked specifically about Lo Celso, but he mentioned Lo Celso to say like, oh, yeah, it was good that he got some minutes. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely ahead of him in the pecking order. And, and again, this is what... I found funny with the whole Ndombele, you know, what what are the implications of him walking off slowly? It's like, there's nowhere lower on the pecking order he can go. I mean, he's he's basically below Winks, he's below Lo Celso, not to mention the guys who actually start games regularly for Spurs. All he does at the moment is play cup games against League One opposition. What less? Can, what what else is he going to do? What's Conte going to say? No, I'm not even going to play against Morecambe. I don't see that happening. And And from here on in, Spurs will have far fewer meaningless games. So... Anyway, but yeah, I mean, Lascelles. Jack mentions the injuries he's had, but and that's been the story really of his whole time at Tottenham. He arrived with an injury, or he got an injury just after he came with Argentina, and that that has set the tone. He's just never been able to stay fit. Really, he had that two month period at the start of twenty twenty where he was really good, and other than that, it's been so stop start for him. But I think I think looking at both Romero uh, and Lascelles. I don't know why clubs in the Premier League waste all this time now on physiotherapists, cryogenic chambers, and all the other medical equipment they've got. Obviously, a flight to Buenos Aires is a miracle cure in itself because (laughs) these players suddenly uh, arrive absolutely raring to play football as they come back. You have to send them back by boat, though, because the flight out of Buenos Aires seems to (laughs) re-injure them. Listen, well, let's, have, let's, have, let's have a break. Let's try and gather our forces because we are in the middle of January and people will want to know um, what the percentage chance of Spurs bringing people in and who might still tank in Dombley's wages notwithstanding be on their way out of White Hart Lane. That's coming up uh, very, very soon here on The View from the Lane. This is- 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, the voices you're hearing are those of myself, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and Charlie Eccleshare from The Athletic, of course. I count myself part of the Athletic family these days. I always seem to be putting a barrier between myself and the other chaps. You're, you're part um, of the Athletic no, network, Danny. Let's, let's, oh, you know. oh, athletic family. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I said, a family. I feel I feel part of the family Let's now. keep it corporate. Not quite mid-January, but he- heading that way. Ingoings, outgoings. Stephen Bergwijn, yet another expensive player Spurs can't seem to get the right noise out of it. And we'll talk about, I think we'll do a whole podcast. One of these weeks coming up in the, in the dead of winter where the game gets postponed or something, I think we're going to talk about Spurs' recruitment in a very serious way. So make a note there that you've both got to gen up on that. The recruitment over the last two years particularly. Mm. Of course, they, they did no recruitment before that. Yeah, I was just thinking, could, could you make a case... I mean, Sessing on the jury's still out on, and hopefully he'll he'll yep. be good. But could you make a case that that 2019 summer window, where they brought in Ndombele and Lo Celso at vast expense, didn't sell Ericsson when you know they really should have done and might have gotten they would have gotten a lot more for him? Is that the one of the critical windows? Is that a worse window than you know even ones where they didn't the previous summer they didn't buy anyone? I mean that that feels like such a pivotal moment for that rebuild. Well, let's 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 do that. I say they'll come one of yeah, these. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll do that days properly in the very near future. Yeah, we're, we're, we'll talk about some some of these windows and what Spurs recruitment over the past four years has looked like. So Stephen Bergwijn, there's somebody who that does appear to be a market for. But is he going to go? Yeah, I mean I think that one. There, there's a decent chance that, that ha- Ajax want him. They've put in a bid already. He, I think he. Th- the way I understand it is, you know, Delian and Dombele would be the first choice for Spurs to get rid of, but there's not a market. I think Bergvine, you know, it, it isn't at that level, but there is an acceptance that maybe it hasn't worked out, and he is he is one of their few saleable assets. So if if Ajax can get up to the point uh, that, that that Spurs want, then I think he will go. And and you know, he's not desperate to leave but Ajax is a Champions League club back to back to his home country so I think that'd be a, a that would suit all parties and then that would give that would free up some cash for Spurs to go out and buy an attacker which they know which we know they've wanted to do for some time. Jack we say there's no market for Deli Alley but January is a really weird one by the 25th of January 26th of January players for whom there was no market suddenly start to look very attractive indeed because clubs are desperate for footballers. 
Yeah, I think Spurs have been hoping for a while that maybe Newcastle would want Delhi this month, but I gather that is not currently the case. Um, it was suggested to me that maybe Everton, Everton kind of considering possibly coming in for Delhi towards the end of the month, but you know, as far as I'm aware, there's been no movement on that. So yeah, it's the comp. I mean, January is always hard, but January plus the kind of post-COVID impact on football finance means that it's just very difficult to, to move these players on, you know, far harder than, you know, and that in turn makes it very difficult for Spurs to bring people in at this point. I mean, Jack, sorry, Charlie just made the point, Jack, that uh, Spurs would free up some money by selling Stephen Bergvine, and you can see the comparison. People say, well, they use that to buy a drama Traore. But this this doesn't sound like the the flowing river of riches that Antonio Conte was apparently promised when he took the job, Jack. Yeah, so I think at the moment, the working assumption is that Tottenham will have to sell to buy and there's not a big pot of money. Uh, it's always possible that might change. You know, sometimes you know, if, if Daniel Levy thinks, actually, maybe we do need to spend some money, then of course that, that can change. Uh, but yeah, at the moment, I'm not anticipating Tottenham, you know, having a big net spend this month, they'll have to find a bit of money to sign Adama Traore. So Traore is someone who obviously they tried to sign in the summer. They had a loan deal agree with Wolves. It nearly happened. Then Wolves pulled the plug. Actually, after he played very well against Tottenham in that game in August in the Premier League. Now Antonio Conte and Paratici want to go back in for Traore this month. The idea is that uh, I think Paratici is keen that Conte should kind of convert Traore into a wing-back. Like he did with Victor in the 2016-17 Premier League season. So that's the idea. Obviously, Traore's got, I think, 18 months left in his Wolves contract. He's not going to sign another one, which means that Wolves want to sell. I think their valuation would be about 20 million. I think there's also a hope that Tottenham might be able to make up a little bit of that money with Matt Doherty going back to Wolves. Uh, I don't think that Wolves are. This is something, that's something that Wolves are massively keen on at this point. Although let's let's wait and see. I, I think there's. I feel like that is the likeliest deal to get done. Although Tottenham are going to have to find some way of meeting close to that twenty million pound value. Yeah, try try all right. See, there's um, the sense I'm getting is that 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 is quite likely to happen. And it seems I, I think that's quite an exciting signing him at right wing back. And but. Um, from some people I've spoken to, they feel a bit underwhelmed by that. But on, I, I don't know, Danny, how much. I don't think he was necessarily offered lots of money to spend in January. I think they've always. I think it's it's one of those situations. My reading of it was that they, I think they've always been upfront. But look, this is the situation. There's not going to be, you know, there's not going to be tons of money available. I do just wonder if, in the way that, and I, I felt this with a bit of Mourinho that. When one starts a new relationship, say, and there's kind of an issue, but you're like, mm, yeah, but I'll put that on the back burner. Like her family yeah. live in Australia or that she probably will want to move back there. So I'm like, yeah, but I don't need to worry about that now. That's for five that's minutes. Very, that's very specific, that is, that is very specific, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where do your in-laws live, Charlie? That's actually not me. That, that's a friend of mine. Anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, but then, so I do wonder if, if with the negotiate with you know they're saying Antonio, there's not going to be lots of money, and he's like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I get that, I'm just excited about the project. But then I do wonder if he's like, yeah, but surely now there's money available. Now that you're aware of how bad we are, that we can't beat Morecambe, and all, surely there's money now. Like, I don't know. It, it just feels like no, no, but because when you're when you're Antonio Conte, all football managers believe that they have transformative powers, don't they? And you exactly. look at Spurs' backup players, we just talked about them, Deli Alli, Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, Tange Ndombele, and you could probably add to that list one or two others. You think, well, 
actually, I'll just get in there. I'll repair the damage done by Mourinho and, and Nuno, and that'll and then that will see us through to the summer. But of course, within within three press conferences, he was saying, "Have you seen the shower of players well, I've got?" Genuinely, here, you know? that I'll never forget the look on his face. And this was actually a, a rare face to face press conference in in Slovenia after the Mura defeat, and yeah, he looked yeah. shell shocked. And exactly that because. You can watch teams on TV and whatever, and I'm sure, of course, he did all his due diligence. But until he had sat there on that cold evening in, not in Mura, in Maribor, and seen <laughs> it up front, and I asked him, I said, "Are you surprised by you know just how big a task you have?" For that? And and he he obviously couldn't really come out and say, "Yes, I'm surprised by just how awful that was." But his face said it all, and yeah, I don't know. I I think that it it may be a slightly bigger. Uh, rebuild than he was anticipating. Obviously, Treore is the name that comes to mind. Jack, anybody else floating around? And we won't hold you this, of course, because speculation is the is the actual fuel of these ridiculous transfer windows. And it, I mean, I see them being linked with people like Kulusevski. I mean, that would take a, a large chunk of money. I mean, anybody else? I think they would like another forward. They would like another yeah. forward. Uh, I think that's probably increased by Sonny's muscle injury. But I don't think they are... I'm, I would expect that to be more like a loan, maybe a loan from a bit someone who's not playing a big team, rather than going to spend a lot of money. You get asked a lot on Twitter about Vlaovic, for example. Vlaovic is a player who Tottenham really wanted in the summer, back when they were thinking, well, if Kane, maybe Kane will go, and obviously they you know, came close with Lautaro Martinez, had a big look at Vlaovic as well. But Vlaovic is miles out of their price range yeah. this month. You know, his salary demands are huge. Vlaovic will have the choice of every club in the world. Um, yeah. As soon as, so as soon as as the, as the Erling Haaland decided where he's going, he will then have a choice of every other club exactly. in the world. So it won't be a Vlaovic type signing. It'll be you know somebody not playing, somebody on the maybe uh, a fringe player at a big team on loan, that kind of thing. I think. All right. Well, listen. There's you know every day the cast of these possible ins and outs. Uh, changes so uh, we have another chance to discuss this uh, in, the, on the, in the subsequent podcast which is only a few days away which takes us now to the possibility of pulling back this two goal deficit uh, that Spurs are confronted with in the second leg of the semi-final of the Carabao Cup against Chelsea but fear not Spurs fans despite the champions of Europe etc etc Jack and I can think of at least two other occasions in this tournament where Spurs have absolutely walloped local rivals by a scoreline that would see Chelsea consigned to the dustbin of memory in this tournament. You particularly want to talk about a game against Chelsea. Yeah, well, this is a piece I wrote that went up this morning on the game from 20 years ago, exactly 20 years ago this month, would you believe? At this time, Spurs hadn't beaten Chelsea. So this was 2000, January 2002, and it was a pretty ropey Spurs team in many ways. It was Glenn Hoddle was the manager. They were still casting around for other people's, no pun intended, cast-offs, weren't they? Well, exactly. One of whom you could argue was Gus Poyet, ex-Chelsea. Mm, um, Teddy, Sheringham, Teddy Sheringham had just come back to the club from United. They weren't great. Anyway, they lost the first, like this current Spurs team, they lost the first leg at Stamford Bridge, 2-1 on that occasion. And although it was a, slen- a slenderer, a more slender deficit, they had this huge weight of history because they hadn't beaten Chelsea in any competition since 1990. 12 long years of her. And they were just battered by them. I think there was a 6-1 defeat at White Hart Lane in 97. Yeah, it kind of just felt like, you know, they had this hoodoo on them anyway so they get into white hot lane and they batter them 5-1 just one of those nights where everything that could possibly go right does and anyway for the piece i talked to uh poye himself 
Simon Davis, who scored a lovely fourth goal. Darren Anderton and Neil Sullivan, who's in goal uh, for Spurs on the day. He later moved to Chelsea. He's actually the last player to have moved between the two clubs. But yeah, just an incredible game. And, and it was really fun to revisit it. I also was able to... Someone, <laughs> amazingly, had uploaded a VHS recording that they made of it <laughs> off, off the ITV coverage at the time. And it was particularly nostalgic for me because I it was soon after I'd read Jack's piece on the Premiership when ITV had the Premier League highlights. Uh, it was exactly that That's era. That's a great piece, by the way, Yeah, Jack. great really piece. Really enjoyable. Yeah. Oh, thank you, uh, yeah, thank from you. Exact, and, and this era is so nostalgic. So, yeah, I loved Jack's piece. And, and this was right in that sweet spot. Clive Tildesley and Ron Atkinson on comms. Brilliant moment about 10 minutes in. And this was something actually... So everyone I spoke to for this piece said how all the pregame stuff was about we get pushed around by Chelsea every year. We need to show them that's not going to happen. First tackles, we need to make them count. We need to rough them up a little bit. Anyway, 10 minutes in, Teddy Sheringham comes flying in, both feet off the ground on Bolo Zenden. Zenden's injured, has to go off. Ron Atkinson in commentary, nothing wrong with that, uh, which is just <laughs> amazing. And then there's some sort of delightful 2002 patter about, oh, strange to see Teddy running that fast. Strange to see Teddy tackling, you know, that that kind of stuff. Anyway, but it did set the tone. Everyone I spoke to said, Sheringham coming in, cleaning out Zenden. And then, and then Desai comes up to Sheringham to be like, what are you doing? And Sheringham, in the most provocative way, sort of strokes him on the head, like, don't worry about it, fella, to, you know, this legendary... Love Lord Ted, love Yeah, him. It, it's a mate to, to, you know, Lord Marcel Desai, World Cup winner. But it did set the tone and Spurs just went for them, battered them. Sherwood scores this amazing goal from the Anderton-Sheringham free kick, we think of, that, that low pullback. Sherwood scores kind of half a volley. But yeah, I mean... It's set up well because Chelsea go into this t- tomorrow's tie with a with a lead from the first leg, and you know can Spurs channel some of that spirit of two thousand and two? I mean, not a vintage team by any means, well, but that and, night and they really we, were. When we were talking about this before the start of the podcast, I confused it, and this of course is says something about the part of London I'm from, uh, Islington, obviously. That for me, the five one victory in the uh, the five goals semi-final victory against local rivals, which turns out was against Arsenal. Um, Steve Malbrank and I think Kevin Prince Boateng had a good game on on you know that night. Bentner um, and so Adebayor they, coming to blows. I mean, it was well, that was one of those that also uh, had everything. Lord Bentner got got right-hander as well. Yeah, didn't he? <laughs> Just to add to the brilliance of the of the whole occasion. So, Jack. These things can be done. Chelsea are a, a tremendous team. We know that. But they're not in the absolute peak of their form. Mind you, they weren't when they beat us 2 0. <laughs> give our listeners some hope, Jack. Uh, it's only 2 0. Tottenham can't play worse. They physically cannot play worse than they did in the first leg. It's scientifically impossible. <laughs> Maybe the injury to Sonny, as unfortunate as it is, will force them into playing a better formation. Maybe a 3 5 2. Maybe we'll see Lacelso play. Maybe we'll see Winks play. So I think, yeah, I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. It's not, it's not dead. It's not, it's not lost. One last thing to say on the podcast. What did Arsenal honestly think would happen if they wore white shirts? That's all I've got to say about <laughs> that. How ludicrous was that to wear white shirts and think you'd get anything other than a horrible karma confirming result in the FA Cup? Please, you know where my Twitter address is. Please come and abuse me as you see fit. No abuse is appropriate for Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare, who I hope have made this podcast as enjoyable to listen to as it has been to make. We'll be back after Spurs' 5-1 triumph against Chelsea. Thanks for listening to The View from the Lane. The Athletic.